Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. As always, we appreciate you listening. We invite you to call in with your Bible question or comment. We don't know the answer to every Bible question, but we'll do our very best to research any question you have that we don't know the answer to and perhaps get back with you later with an answer. The only answer to a Bible question that deserves to even be considered is what the Bible has to say. It's our standard of authority. What men say may or may not be right, but when they prove what they say by the Bible, then they're giving you God's Word. We need to make sure that the people we're listening to, the Bible teachers that we're, li- teachers that we're listening to, are giving us book, chapter, and verse for what they're teaching. While we're waiting on our first call, I thought we'd talk tonight about, quote, the Antichrist. The Antichrist. I was looking that up in Google. The dictionary in Google defines that as, quote, in some Christian teachings, a personal opponent of Christ expected to appear before the end of the world. And then on Wikipedia, it says about the Antichrist, in Christian eschatology, which just means the last things about the last times, it says the Antichrist or Antichrist is someone recognized as fulfilling the biblical prophecies about one who will oppose Christ and substitute himself in Christ's place. I want you to notice from those two quotes that the Antichrist, according to these human quotes, is just one person who is to only appear just before the end of the world. That That is one extra special opposer of Christ to appear just before the end of the world. Now, we've all heard this teaching at one time or another. Books have been written about it. Movies have been made about it. But what does the Bible say about the Antichrist? That's what's important, not what these men say, not what Wikipedia says. What does the Bible say about the Antichrist? You know, there are a total of four verses in the Bible where the Antichrist is mentioned. Let's go through them one by one. But before we do, let me mention, if you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. So the first verse that mentions the Antichrist is 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Here's how that verse reads. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrist, whereby we know that it is the last time. So when John wrote this book, the book of 1 John, he said even then there were many Antichrists, not just one, but many, and that they existed then. Remember, the general teaching of denominational churches is that there's just one Antichrist and he's to come just before the end of the world. But this says, this was written way back in the first century. John wrote by inspiration that even then there are many Antichrists. Not just one, but many, and they existed at that time. <clears throat> so, from this we learn that there's not just one Antichrist, but many. And we learn There are antichrists during the first century time period, not just future to us. Next verse, 1 John 2.2. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So, an antichrist then is anybody who denies that Jesus is the Christ. 
There have been many of those throughout history, many antichrists. 1 John 4, 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now, already, is in the world. So an Antichrist is anybody who denies that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. And we see that from this verse, such existed way back when the Bible was written. Looks like we have a caller. We'll take that right now. Jeff from Pennsylvania, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Thanks, Patrick. I've appreciated your teachings on divorce over the past year. I have a question for you on Deuteronomy 24, uh, 1 through 4. If my wife leaves me and marries another man and that marriage should end, would it be possible in, you know, for me to take her back someday, or, or would that still be an, an abomination before the Lord as it describes in uh, Deuteronomy. Jeff, you know, the Bible teaches in places like Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12, and Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, that we're under the New Testament law exclusively. The Old Testament law, though it's great, we need to study it for our learning so we can understand the New Testament better, that we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. For example, what I mentioned, Galatians 5.3, Paul there was talking about circumcision. He says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. And so the point is that with the old law, it's either all or nothing. We're not under the Old Testament law, not any of it. We're under the New Testament law exclusively. You follow my point so far, Jeff? Yes. So Deuteronomy 24 Verse 1 and following was the Old Testament, the law of Moses' teaching about divorce and remarriage. And we know that it's not the same today because in the, very, in the two places that Jesus mentions, the one exception, fornication, Matthew five thirty one and 32, and you're probably familiar with these passages, Jeff, Jesus yeah. quotes Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, or refers to it in contrast his New Testament teaching. Let me read Matthew five thirty one and 32. Jesus said, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. So Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, in Matthew five thirty one, And he says, This is the way it used to be under the law of Moses. That's what he does in all six of these cases in Matthew 5, 21 through 48. But I say unto you, now divorce can only be for fornication. Back in the days of Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, it could be for any uncleanness. You remember that, Jeff, of course? Yes, right. And so, so since the Old Testament law doesn't apply today, and since the Old Testament law in particular on divorce and remarriage doesn't apply today, God's law is much stricter, then I would conclude that... that uh, that this abomination in verse 4 is also not necessarily applicable today because the New Testament does not teach that. The New Testament does not teach that if you were, say, to divorce your wife and then later remarry her, her say she had a husband in there in between and then got out of that marriage, that it would be abomination. The New Testament never teaches that, Jeff. Okay. It's a very good question. As a matter of fact, the Bible would teach, and, you, and this is not exactly in the New Testament, but I think it illustrates 
in uh, Mark 6 does, what a person would need to do if they found themselves in an unscriptural marriage. You, you remember, Jeff, the, the story of uh, John the Baptist, how he lost his head, and he told Herod that his marriage was not lawful, right? That's right. Let me read that for the audience, because they're not going to be as familiar with this as you are. But in uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, it says, For Herod himself had laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Now, this first part I'm going to talk about, Jeff, comes from secular history. Herod had divorced his wife unscripturally. Herodias had divorced her husband unscripturally, Philip. That part we learned from secular history. And then they had married each other. And John the Baptist, who was representing God's law in this, at that time said, it's not lawful for you to have her. Now, Jeff, if God says to Herod that it's not lawful for him to have Herodias, what do you think that would mean that God uh, was expecting Herod to do about that marriage? To terminate the marriage. Yeah, because he said it's not lawful. That's exactly right. And so if here I am, uh, say, um, uh, I, say I divorce my wife for burning the biscuits, which is not a scriptural cause, and she remarries somebody, Matthew 19.9 or Matthew 5.32, which we just read, said whoever marries a put-away woman commits adultery. So she marries again. She's committing adultery, but she decides she wants to do what's right. She gets out of that marriage. And then we come back to the scenario you ask about. Can we get back together, or Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, forbid that? I would suggest to you, Jeff, that Romans 7, 2, and 3, the wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, would say that she's still bound to me, obligated to me. So when she gets out of that unscriptural marriage, that that's avoiding adultery, but that she should seek reconciliation with me. Uh, and so not only would it not be an abomination, but it's something that she should seek to do under the New Testament law on divorce and remarriage. You follow me so far, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. It's just a little confusing that it was once an abomination to the Lord, and now it's not. But I guess it was a different time and a different people, yeah. different culture. Jeff, you're probably familiar with this, but did you know that um, that... The eating of catfish and pork was called an abomination back in Old Testament times. Okay. It was. I could. Um, I don't have the, the references right off the top of my head, but if, you'll, if you go to my website, and I'm, I'm going to say this on the air so everybody can hear this, my new website is a really good website done by my friend Shane Pack, BibleCrossFire.com. Easy to remember, BibleCrossFire.com. Jeff, if you'll go there, you, at the very top, you can it, here's you, it says send Pat an email. Send me an email and ask me for those verses, and I can give you the references where eating catfish, eating pork was called an abomination. But we know from passages like Acts 10, 1 Timothy 4, that now that, that the unclean foods are okay for us to eat as long as we give thanks for it. You remember those passages, don't you, Jeff? I think they're in Deuteronomy as well. Yeah, but and I'm yeah. talking about in the New Testament, it teaches us that we can eat pork, we can eat catfish. Oh, that's right, yeah, right. Acts 10, First uh, Timothy 4, uh, and so even those things, though, even though they were, it was called an abomination for them to eat those food back, eat those foods back then, those unclean meats. Now they're perfectly acceptable for us to eat, and so in that same vein, Jeff, maybe then we can understand 
that even though Deuteronomy 24 would forbid the wife going back to the original husband if she has a marriage in between, it's not necessarily going to be the same way in the New Testament just because it called it an abomination. You follow my point, Jeff? Yep, it makes sense. Thank you. Now, now in Acts, in 1 Corinthians 7, here's a passage that I think would show that the wife in this situation should it should go back to her husband. Say my wife leaves me. Uh, she doesn't divorce me scripturally for fornication. I'm innocent. She remarries, and she's committing adultery. She realizes she's in adultery. Uh, she sees these passages from Matthew 19, 9, Mark 6. She gets out of that. Well, 1 Corinthians 7 would say that she needs to try to seek reconciliation with me. Let me read that in verses 10 and 11. It says, Unto the married I command, yet, I, yet not I but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. And so I believe that passage would suggest that the wife who departs from her husband unscripturally, when she comes to her senses and wants to do what's right, she should seek reconciliation with that husband. See what I mean, Jeff? Yes. Now, for completeness sake, I turned to Matthew 5 a while ago and showed you that Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, and he said it's not going to be the same anymore. That allowed divorce for any uncleanness, but I'm only going to allow divorce for fornication. We can see the same thing in Matthew 19, verses 8 and 9, Jeff. They were asking in verse 7, the Pharisees, they said, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And Jesus replies back, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered, or that means allowed to put away you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And he's referring, the whole context there is they're referring to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. He says, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. Whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So he contrasts his teaching with the law of Moses' teaching on divorce and remarriage in Deuteronomy 24, 1 and following, he contrasts his New Testament teaching on divorce and remarriage in both cases, in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. Follow me, Jeff? Yes. So I think we have good reason to conclude that the New Testament law on divorce and remarriage is different and it's stricter than the Old Testament law. Jeff, if you don't mind me asking, whereabouts in Pennsylvania do you live? Near Harrisburg. Near Harrisburg. Um, you don't happen to know my friend Stephen Rouse, do you? I do not. Don't know. You know, I'm going to be, since you're in Harrisburg, how far is it, how long does it take you to drive to, say, Lancaster? Uh, only about an hour, and I know you'll be given, uh, you'll be in that debate, and I do hope to go see you there. Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to meet you, Jeff. I'll be in a debate in Lancaster and Marietta on August 26th and 27th. The first night is on Once Saved, Always Saved. The second night on Infant Baptism. If you need the details about that, the times and the addresses and everything, Jeff, send me. go to the, uh, my website, BibleCrossFire.com, and send me an email, and I'll give you those verses about catfish and pork, and then I can also send you a, f- a flyer about the debate. All right. Thanks. I will. Thank you for your call, Jeff. Ah. Appreciate it. And so we were talking about the Antichrist. The only other passage that mentions the Antichrist in the Bible is 1 John 1, 7. It says, For many deceivers are entered to the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. So again, an Antichrist is anybody who does not confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. 
basically anybody that opposes Christ and the true doctrine about Christ could be appropriately called an antichrist. And there have been many like that since Christ came about about since Christ came about 2,000 years ago. Now the lesson to be learned from all this is this. Many preachers will make up just about anything to try to sensationalize what the Bible teaches. They made up all this thing about one person being an antichrist just before the, the end of the world. The, the Bible teaches there were many antichrists all throughout history, even back then. But many preachers will make up just about anything to try to sensationalize what the Bible teaches. They're not satisfied to just take the plain and obvious meaning of Bible text. And if they will change the Bible Bible's teaching on this subject to suit their own purposes, then they'll do it on other subjects as well. Mark my words, they'll do it on other subjects as well. Larry from Alabama, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Okay. Now, how come, my question is, how come every one of us in the world cannot be God? And let me say some more with that. The Bible said, let us make man in our image. Yeah. Okay, now let yep. me say a little more. Now, when people get down to pray in these churches, they'll say, in Jesus' name, and right there they're saying they're Jesus because they're calling themselves Jesus. And it's all in the Bible about God and God in you. And when I went to school, in meant inside something. Okay, mm-hmm. now I'm through. Yeah, thanks for your call. Larry, let me mention something to you. Remember when Jesus was being tempted in Matthew chapter 4? In verse 10, at the very end of that, he says, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. But now, now in Acts angels t- ministered now, unto him. Now, yeah, in okay, Acts I- 10... Hold on, Larry. Now, in Acts 10, Larry, let me finish what I'm saying. In Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius tried to worship Peter, Peter said, don't worship me. I myself am only a man. And so we see the distinction made between a man and God. God is to be worshipped. Man is not to be worshipped. So, when the Bible teaches that God made us in his image, it's not saying that we are God. It's saying that we are a spiritual being like God. An animal is not like that. When a dog dies, it's gone forever. It doesn't have a spirit that lives on forever. But man is made in the image of God in that he has a spirit that's going to exist on forever, either in heaven or, or the bad place, one of the two. And that's the sense in that he's made in the image of God. Not that he's God himself. We can see that distinction made between God and many different passages in the Bible. Richard from Colorado, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Richard, are you, you can you hear me? Hi, this is Richard. Yeah, you may have to turn off your radio so you don't get confused. There's a little delay. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. All right, yeah, so... I was wondering, throughout, throughout the Bible, we hear this, this stuff about the Israelites should not do harm to their neighbors because they were strangers in the land of Egypt. And now, I got this neighbor that I got a lot of problems with. 
I do not like my neighbors. But yep. the Bible tells me that I can do no harm to my neighbors. What is your suggestion that I do to reconcile with my neighbors? Well, you know it. As the old saying is, it takes two to tango. So sometimes, Richard, it takes two people to live in harmony. But the Bible requires us to, to do our very best to try to, um, like, for example, as much, the Bible says, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. So our duty is to try to live peaceably with all men. And it says, as much as life in with you, because it recognizes the fact that it takes both parties. Uh, I'm looking. That's that comes from that comes from Romans 12:18. I'll read that. It says, "If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men." Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him; if he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, with but overcome evil with good. Richard, I was out knocking on doors today trying to get Bible classes, and a man, he was really mad at me for knocking on his doors, on his door. He, he came out there, and he, he, he cussed at me, he fussed at me real bad. But then what I did was, instead of fussing at him back and get defensive about it, I basically just said, in a real nice, I treated him real nicely, you have a good day, right before I left. I was trying to do what the end of Romans 12 says, by treating him nicely, in so doing, heap coals of fire on his head. And immediately, when I returned his anger with being kind and gentle, he immediately changed his attitude toward me and started treating me in a nice and respectable way and, and, and really spoke in a apologetic way for how he had acted when he first came and opened the door. And that's because I returned his meanness with niceness. And a lot of times that will work. Sometimes it won't. But that's what our obligation is, to try to always be nice. We're to not only love our neighbor, but to love our enemy. That's taught toward the end of Romans chapter 5. Richard, we're about to have to go off the air. Do you have a follow-up comment? Well, yeah. It's been four years now. And, I, hey, you know me. I'm a nice fella. But I've been trying to be nice to these two neighbors for four damn years now. Richard, we can't we can't allow we can't we're not going to allow cuss words on the air, so I'm going to have to drop you. But thank you for your call. And so we're going to have to go off the air in a minute or two. We appreciate all these calls. The reason I brought up the Antichrist subject tonight is mainly to make the point that they the the, the denominational preachers, many preachers, have made up this whole kind of uh, theology about the Antichrist. That here comes one person that's going to be called the Antichrist. It's going to be right toward the end of the world. He's going to be one guy who opposes Christ. He's the Antichrist. And they write whole books, volumes about this one fella. But there's only four verses in the Bible that talk about the Antichrist. And they all four show us that the Antichrist is anybody who opposes Christ or his doctrine. And that there were many Antichrists even back then. When a person opposes Christ today, and there are thousands of people who do... They, you could appropriately call them an antichrist. Now, here's my point. If these preachers, and many preachers do this, will make up all of this stuff about the antichrist, 
in order to try to sensationalize what the Bible teaches, a lot of times just to be popular or to sell books. If they'll do that on this subject, make all this stuff up about the Antichrist, which is different than what the Bible says, then they're going to be willing to do the same thing about any subject. So we have to be very careful about what we hear. Whoever's teaching you, they may be making a lot of the stuff up like they did about the Antichrist. We have to do what we read about that the Bereans did in Acts 17 verse 11. It says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So anytime you hear Bible preaching, even if it's from me, when you're at church, anytime you hear it on the TV or radio, Whenever you hear Bible preaching, you search the scriptures to make sure what they're saying is so. And and the saying goes, if they're not proving it by the Bible, just let it go through one ear and out the other. But if they're teaching what the Bible says, then you accept it, put it into practice. Go to BibleCrossFire.com. You can send me an email. We can talk about the Bible all week. You can listen to old programs there. BibleCrossFire.com.